Good morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. I'm so pleased to have as our in-studio guest this week, Mr. Paul Newman, who is an executive with Benjamin Moore, as well as has his own Essex Soccer Academy where he teaches students the finer points of not only how to play soccer, but how to be a good individual. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Before we jump into your coaching methodology, which is phenomenal, can you share with our audience a little bit about your education and background? Sure. Um, so I'm originally from the UK, um, came to the United States in the early 1980s. Um, my journey from an athletic perspective probably started when I was about five years old. Um, most young men in the UK are given a, a soccer ball or a football, um, and I, I played with that as much as I could with my friends and my mates. Um, as I developed my uh, soccer abilities, I was um, selected to play for, um, at that point in time, was uh, Limbury Boys Club. Limbury Boys Club um, is located in Bedfordshire County, which is about 33 miles north of, north, well, 33 miles north of London. Um, and Limbury Boys Club is a feeder into Luton Town Football Club, which at that particular point in time played in Division Two in the uh, English Football League, which is now the championship. Um, not only did, did I play soccer slash football as a young man growing up or a young youth growing up, I also had the um, ability to play um, other sports. So. Um, I was a track and field athlete. Um, I actually was a decathlete um, in my high school years. I played cricket. I p ran cross country. I played rugby. I played basketball. And I also played tennis. Um, and so I was given um, access to lots of different coaches um, with, who had different coaching philosophies as well as sort of different coaching techniques. And so when I um, had the opportunity to uh, come to the States um, at about 17 um, to play soccer at the University of Pittsburgh, um, that was a fascinating time for me, um, coming to a new country, learning a new culture, but also coming to a country in the early 1980s, mid-1980s, that was a little bit behind the time as is related to um, my education from a soccer perspective. Um, being a, a young, aggressive uh, individual, um, I didn't necessarily um, know how to communicate, let's say, um, with diplomacy to um, coaches and coaching staffs because I had so much knowledge. And I, I think, in hindsight, um, they saw me as a threat, right? Um, if there was ever a question to be um, posed, um, my hand would shoot up and I would have questions and sort of go into a, you know, somewhat of a um, discussion around it. And what I found out was is that um, coaches don't like to be, let's say, put on, on, on the mark if they don't necessarily have all the information or if you, they think that you're smarter than them. And so um, my first year at Pittsburgh didn't go so well. And then um, in spring training of my sophomore year, I actually had a knee injury. I had an MCL issue. Um, which took me out for the season. Um, but fast forward, was able to get through that particular point in my uh, athletic career. Um, graduated out of Pittsburgh, 
went back to the UK because um, I still sort of had a yearning to see whether I could be a professional footballer. Um, had a couple trials here and there, um, but it was clear when I went up to Doncaster, which is in north in north uh, in north in in the UK, and I had a what you consider to be a very old-fashioned football manager, as we call him, um, tell me that I was too smart for the game. And so I took that to mean that my questions as it relates to style of play, system of play, tactics, strategies, was something that um, maybe the old-fashioned or more sort of regimented, do as I say, uh, not as I do, didn't necessarily play well. So I came back to the States, um, went to Bloomfield College, and uh, got another degree um, in economics, and started my professional career. Um, along the way, um, I got married, and my first child was a, a young boy by the name of Xavier, and being that football or soccer had done so much for me, developed me as a young person, I automatically gravitated and gave my son a ball when he was four years old. Um, so when Xavier started playing um, here in South Orange, and I live in South Orange, New Jersey, um, he started playing for Cougar Soccer Club, which is the town club. Um, while playing there, I began to sort of network with some of the um, executives that were running the club on the board, and they began to ask me some questions about my background and how I knew so much about the game, and I began to sort of communicate that to them that, where I had played and what I had done, et cetera. And so they asked me whether I wanted to coach. So clearly my son was part of the team and I decided, yep, this would be a, a, would be a good avenue for me to be able to um, impart good information and knowledge to my son, but also to be able to impart that information and knowledge to the, his teammates. Um, also was given the opportunity to sit on the board and be able to talk about training programs, select training companies, um, work on futsal and bring some new ideas to the club that I thought were important for a town club which was um, only for town players. Um, so I went through that, I think I did that for about what, six, six, left there, probably about six years. Um, and then what I be began to see was is that there was sort of a ceiling to the sort of overall development that you could have within the Cougar Soccer Club, not only for my son, but for other players. And so I branched out to some other clubs to have my son play, but also had the, um, the good fortune of obviously um, having some really talented players play within my son's age group. So um, players like Wesley Wade, who was a uh, U.S. Uh, youth national player and spent two years down at, down at the uh, U.F. national team and actually went to Monk Claire Kimberley Academy and now plays at University of Virginia, um, also had the fortunate to also coach and mentor Max um, uh, Lurie, who now is, I do believe he's a junior, yeah, he's a junior at Dartmouth, um, um, and a phenomenal goalkeeper, and hopefully maybe he'll make it to the professional days, to professional ranks one day. Um, so that's sort of a bit about my, about my journey, um, but from a sort of coaching, mentorship, leadership perspective, um, what I've been able to sort of distill over 25 years of being a coach um, is that it's important to one have uh, a very strong um, foundation in the area that you're going to be able to either coach or leading right 
if you're not well studied and you don't have strong experience in your um, designated um, field of study or of coaching, then you will run into roadblocks because you'll become defensive when people ask you questions. Um, and young people will always have questions, and as will their parents, right, will also always have questions. And it's important to be able to communicate well, not only to your, to your player slash student, but also to the parents. So you can impart information and knowledge to them that can make them feel more comfortable about what you're doing or what you're trying to overcome or what you're trying to have the young person slash player have insight into. Um, and so you have to take a very strategic approach to how you map out your training programs. What I found um, from my experiences is that because soccer in the U.S. is still a relatively new sport, individuals that have that base knowledge around the sport, whether they played it or have coached it for a while, sort of keep that information hostage. They feel like that's the way for them to, one, I think it's psychological. They feel important that they have more information. Two, I think they want to keep some of the information to themselves um, for whatever reason that is. Um, I come from a culture where that's not the way that football or soccer is imparted to youth players. Um, we have coaches in England, we call them pub coaches. You know, They go to the local pub and they'll sit around and they could talk football for days. But they're imparting knowledge to you that they've been able to gather over the years. And so what I've tried to do is, is to be able to take my athletic um, endeavors, along with all the coaches that I've worked with um, from many parts of the world, um, as well as my own experience, as well as what I've been able to glisten from coaching education and coaching seminars, as well as what I've been able to capture from all of my academic studies. And I've been able to sort of apply that into this particular discipline, which is being a soccer coach. And so what does that mean? I think the most important thing is, is obviously be strong, have a strong foundation in the subject. Two, don't take any shortcuts as it relates to um, developing your lesson plans or your, your training programs that you're going to have for your, for your students slash players. Um, typically what I like to do is, is if I'm going to have an eight-week training session, I try to map out what I'm going to do for the first four weeks. However, if there is a major deficiency that I, I uncover, and I say that clearly, that I uncover it, um, then what I have to do is I have to go back to the drawing board. And I have to think about how, what is the best way for me to be able to uh, ramp up that skill set so therefore we can continue to move forward with the actual training program. The other important part is that you must communicate, and I think a lot of coaches take it for granted, but you should communicate out what your training plan will be for those four, six, or eight weeks. If you then make any tweaks or revisions to it, yet again, communicate it. In most cases, you're dealing with youth athletes, so not only must you communicate that to the actual athlete, you must also communicate that to the parent. Because what 
studies have shown is is that when you have an engaged athlete slash player and an engaged parent, then you are able to get an optimal performance out of that player in a designated period of time. And so that's that's very important. The other thing that's also important is, especially in the in the field of soccer, is you want to ensure that you have a, a, a good warm-up, and that warm-up should be relatively same and similar every week. Anybody that's been, that's been an athlete or has been coaching um, youth athletes, you understand that it's a warm-up, and what you want to do is raise the body temperature by one degree because then the muscles are active, as well as it gets the mind ready for whatever training discipline comes next. Do not shortcut that. Um, it's just a really basic principle for good coaching that it relates to coaching athletes. And then what you want to be able to do is, is then communicate to the player what the next activity will be, whatever that is. So if it's going to be a speed and agility drill, if it's going to be a technical drill, if it's going to be a drill where it's going to be predicated on tackling, shooting, shielding, uh, two-touch, one-touch, whatever it is, um, communicate that. Um, two-touch, one-touch, okay. Oh, For those of us uh, who are not as well-versed in soccer, what is a, a one-touch, two-touch? So um, one-touch is when a, a ball is played to a player and he only can take one touch. So usually that means the ball comes to the player and the person then will play the ball to another player. That's one touch, usually one touch passing. If it's two touches, then the player has the ability to control the ball, that's the first touch, and then his second touch will be to pass the ball. When you watch the professionals play, um, what you'll see is, is most players will play with two to three touches at max. And so what does that mean? Um, when you're playing with one touch, the speed of play is very quick, right? Because it's bing, bing, bing. If it's two touches, it's more of a one, two. And if it's three touches, it's one, two, three. Okay. So you get a good cadence. So the key here is, is coaches will, you'll hear coaches talking on the sidelines about, um, we need to play quicker. That to me is not a clear communication of what you really want to do. It's, the, it's an outcome, but what you want the player to do is to play more one-touch, two-touch. So the communication should be to the player, hey, we need to play more one-two-touch, which then gets into your desired outcome, and everybody's on the same page. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Paul Newman of the Essex Soccer Academy. If you have missed any of this interview, you got to listen to the podcast because he is giving a lot of knowledge and education about soccer, which is a fascinating game. And so, Paul, um, also, I've noticed how we met. I'm walking my dogs, and you're there in the park with two young ladies, and you have them going through these drills. And the thing that I enjoyed about the drill was, number one, it, everybody was involved in the drill, but number two was how you were speaking to them. I, un I could understand it. Mm -hmm. I, I probably couldn't do what you, you know, I, my footwork isn't there with the yeah, ball, but sure. but I understood. Yep. And and I really I really ad ad admired the way that the young ladies were listening to you. They were tuned into you. Yep. How would you characterize your, 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 your leadership management style? Um, I think, and I, and I go back to what I said before, right? So any good coach or coaches that 
we talk about, right, whether we talk about a Phil Jackson, right, whether or not we talk about, you know, great coaches like, you know, in soccer, we would talk about like a Kala Antolati mm -hmm. or we would talk about like a, you know, an Alex Ferguson, right, excuse me, Sir Alex Ferguson, right, Manchester United manager, right? I think it's all begins begins with having a really strong foundation for the actual subject matter. And then if it then leads to that part of how you are able to improve a person's overall performance relies upon communication, then you have to understand what communication works best for the field of study that you're in. So we're talking specifically about soccer. And so what's important is, is to clearly articulate in not a lot of words, in what I like to call eighth grade English, right? What you want the person to do. And then because you've explained what you want them to do, if it's new to them, demonstrate it, which goes back to your skill set, right? Then say questions and then allow them to begin the the activity. As you're watching the activity, with a very keen eye, you then make and give subtle tips. So one of my key words is, is I've got a, a tip. And then the tip will be a way to improve their technical ability or to ensure that they're doing the drill to the highest perform performance-related standards that I think they should be at. And then, because now they've understood that, then I talk about progressions. So in, when I, we talk about progressions, usually in the US, right, it's usually about the quarterback, right? And I'll say the quarterback has three progression reads, right? Well, we have the same thing as it relates to any sport that you're trying to coach, right? Um, it's about a progression. It's about having, creating a good foundation and then applying the actual exercise or the activity, and then making that exercise and that activity more and more difficult, but making sure that it's also what I like to call game-related. Because the key here is, is that you're taking a player and you're teaching them something that's gonna, they're gonna utilize in a game situation and you want to ensure that they're able to cognitively understand what that means and then technically and athletically be able to apply the principles so therefore they're able to execute it and execute it well. And then you continue to ramp it up, right? Until you get to a point where you feel like, and for me, I, I'm, I always try to get my players, right? At least if they're youth players, at least two years above where they should be from a technical perspective. So if, um, when Daryl saw me training, I was training, uh, I think there were 15-year-old young ladies. So my skill set, my, my goal is to get those 15-year-olds to be able to play and think and communicate as a 17-year-old, to be two years above their age group. How long does it take in, 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 in your, your coaching yeah. to, to get them to a 15-year-old yeah. to all of a sudden they're playing at a 17-year-old level? So, it, 
it typically will take, if we're doing two training sessions a week, knowing that we probably do about 35 sessions in a year, it probably takes them a good two years to get up to the point where their baseline is now at a 17-year-old. The interesting thing from my perspective is also having a track and field background is that when I start with players, knowing that soccer, the primary activity is running, right? Or people will say kinetic movement, whatever. So for me, knowing that that's a very important characteristic and from my background, knowing that the importance of being able to have good running technique, players come to me whether they're seven years old, I don't probably don't say this anymore, 11 years old, I don't go seven years anymore, about 11 <laughs> years old, um, or even if they come to me when they're in college, the first thing that I will work on is running technique, right? So I will be talking about, you know, um, hip down, drive over, I'll be talking about hip lips for coordination, I talk about um, the importance of your hands when you run, I talk about the importance of how your arms move when you run, your head positioning. So all the things you would learn if you were beginning to be a, a say you wanted to run track. And what is hip, hips down? I, I, oh, so, I'm not familiar with so, that. Um, the key, it's interesting. When you think about running, right, most people will run and they don't necessarily lift their, their they don't lift their leg. It's hard to, to describe it, right? But they don't lift their leg high enough. So people think the way that you run faster is by elongating your stride. It's clearly not the way that you run faster. Um, what I try to do is, is to give them information that would make sense, right? So if you think about Usain Bolt, the fastest man on the planet, right? Six foot five, 205, right? Um, how does he, how is he able to run 100 meters in under seven se nine, nine, 9.7 seconds? He doesn't change the the length of his stride, right? From and I think he takes. If I remember now, is it, I want to say he takes twenty three strides to complete hundred meters. His stride length is the same for all twenty three steps that he's going down the track. So how is he able to be faster than the next person? His ability to go how fast he's able to hit the ground, right, and how quickly he's able to come off the ground. So interestingly enough, when he broke the world record for the 100 meters, his contact time with the ground, which is every time his foot hit the ground, right, there's a contact time, was, was a shade under two seconds. So think, if he's running a 9,700 meters, and his foot is on, his feet only hit the ground for two seconds. Take that from nine point seven. That means seven point seven seconds. He was flying. He wasn't in the. He was in the air. So the key here is is you have to teach teach athletes if their sport involves a lot of running, the correct running technique. And that means that you don't run faster or quicker by elongating your stride. Actually, you'll go slower because you're overstriding, and then you have to compensate with the next with the next stride. Is to have a is to have your own perfect stride length, and then understand if you want to get faster, you've got to drive down harder. 
So Newton's second law of motion is whatever f force is is whatever f the for any force that is any force that is delivered, the same and equal force will come back. So if I drive down at 600 pounds, the same force will come back up. If I drive down at 700 pounds, the same force comes back up. So people can drive down. The problem is, is can they then drive back up using their hip flexor and then get to a point where it's perfect and drive down again? So it's not the drive down, it's, the actu it's actually when you come back up. So what we do is, is we do a lot of work strengthening the hip flexor, so therefore they're able to control it. And then you begin to see the speed and the acceleration come to part. As well as the key is, is that if you're running and you have a near perfect stride length for your own running style and you have good running technique, right? And you're running five to six miles in a football match, you're gonna be running more efficiently. You'll have more energy left in the last 10 minutes of games when lots of games are decided. So there's lots of things that come into this, right? Around sort of what people call sports science. But if you then impart that onto a young player, yet again, my knowledge base, imply it to a young player, that young player now goes and plays with his team and is now exhibiting the right characteristics when he's running or she's running. I just want to know where can I buy the book? <laughs> where can I buy the book? Wow. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I've been an athlete yeah. my whole life, uh, watched a lot of sports. I've never heard anyone discuss the art of running. running. Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a science to running. Um, if you want to find anything around sports science, um, it's relatively new in the U.S., and right? But if you want to find lots of sort of um, data around sports science, just go to the to the Nordic countries. They've been doing it for since the 19s, early 1970s. Okay. Um, you know, um, our time is winding down, sure. b b believe it or not. Okay. However, I would like for folks to know, for the parents, where can they contact you? Because you are a phenomenal coach, athlete, human being. Sure. How can they contact you? Um, if you need to reach out to me, you can always find me at EssexSoccer at Yahoo.com. That's my email address. Just shoot me an email. I always respond to any parent or player that has questions, um, whether it's questions about, you know, um, how do I make my player better? If you have questions around the uh, college recruiting, um, I probably have sent, I don't want to toot my own horn, but probably well over 500 players into Division One programs. 500? F easy 500. Oh my goodness. Yeah, males and females. Um, I've had US national players, I've had professional players that I've worked with. I mean, I still get phone calls and emails from players that I coached in 2003, right? Um, and the reason for that is, is that I take an holistic approach to my players. Um, I care about my players um, and I think that's important. I don't see the, my coaching and my mentorship to young student athletes, and I'll say that because they are students first and they're athletes second. Uh, I don't take it for granted and I'm not looking for any major sort of monetary compensation to be delivered to me for what I consider to be me passing the baton to the next generation. So part of my sort of mantra is, is to help as many young people as I can be better players because I know if you become a better player, you become a better person. And on top of that is, is, is also to make sure that you become a 
well-rounded student athlete and you understand the dynamics of being a student athlete. You understand you have to have great time management. You understand that you have to be able to have dedication. You have to understand that you have to be selfless. You have to, have to understand that you have to be um, a, a, a player or a person that's able to flex and toggle well. Um, you also, if you have a lot of information about the sport and about how the sport should be played, you need to pass it on not only to the players on your team, but also to have conversations with your coaches, as well as have conversations with your parents, who are essentially, as a youth athlete, are supporting you to, in your athletic endeavors. Um, we are out of time, but thank you. I'd like for you to take 30 seconds just to share some final thoughts sure. about being successful in life? Hmm. I think the most important, one of the, well, I'm saying most important, one of the things that you, for you to be successful in life is to, is to know what you want to do and then to prepare, prepare, and prepare for what you want to do. You will, you will never achieve your goals, whether it be from a athletic perspective or from a professional perspective if you're not prepared for all of the opportunities that will come your way as well as all of the challenges that will come your way if you are if you prepare um, you will be fine uh, Paul, I want to thank you for this very delightful interview. We got to have you back on the program because I want to hear more about Benjamin Moore and your professional side because I'm sure it's equally <laughs> as, as exciting. Thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Newman, our guest from the Essex Soccer Academy. You can reach him at EssexSoccer at Yahoo.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps it up for this weekend. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.